All right, fact checkers, it is a brand new year, but we've got the same great coffee sponsor. So if you head over to Fox and Sons Coffee and use the promo code FCT for fact check this, you get 15% off any order of $25 or more. Also, be sure to check out the new blends that Steve's got over there. We've got the Den Blend 2 Electric Boogaloo. This is a medium roast coffee. If the dark roast was a little too robust for you, but the light was not quite getting what you needed, check out the medium roast. It is fantastic. And also, they've got a brand new one. It's the Costa Rica Honey Prep. Now, this is the same great coffee, but with a little bit of a floral aroma. You're going to really want to check this one out. So head over to Fox and Sons Coffee and use the promo code FCT at checkout to get that 15% off any order over $25. Let's get started. And for anybody who's watching the live shows, it's been a busy day. But for those who are just catching the recordings later on, this is coming out a week from now. Uh, tonight, I am rejoined by Tommy Sammons. Tommy is one of my favorite people to talk to because we always end up talking about good stuff that we don't necessarily intend to at the start. But tonight, we are actually going to probably talk about most of the things that we intend to. We're going to talk about our evolving worldviews, which has kind of been a theme of previous conversations we've had uh, to some extent. And we're going to continue that because Tommy's had some ideas that have been flowing through his head. And I'm going to try to see if I can draw some of those out and and uh, expand on them a bit. Tommy, how you been doing, man? I've been good, man. I've been doing really well. I had a really great weekend last weekend, went, went up to... Uh, Houston, hung out with the parents, uh, saw my kids, got to hang out with my granddaughter. So yeah, I'm doing well. Excellent. I I have a brand new granddaughter, as a matter of fact. So that, I know uh, you do. <laughs> that's she's beautiful, man. Exciting times. Um, it I guess it hasn't hit me quite as hard yet because it's my stepson, so it's still a little bit of a like a, a level of disconnect, I guess. But I get to go actually meet her in person tomorrow, so uh, that'll that'll probably that'll probably change things a bit. Getting to actually hold the granddaughter for the first time and and actually see her, not just see pictures of her. Well, you know, uh, it's funny. My granddaughter's uh, she's three years old, and this wasn't my first time meeting her, obviously, but this was the first time she interacted with me because she was always scared of my beard. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's my daughter from my first marriage had a baby, uh, three years ago. And, uh, this little Callie is her name. She just 
clung to Beatrix. She would not come anywhere near me because of the beard. And it was funny. My, my oldest son was like that. We would go over to a friend of mine's house whenever I was um, in my twenties, uh, late teens, early twenties, play music. And uh, his, her dad was in a band and uh, it was a pretty popular band around Houston. And he had a big, long black beard and my son would stare at him and scream just like oh my god it just terrified of the beard so it wasn't it wasn't offensive to me i actually found it kind of funny when sean was little bitty i guess he was like right at a year old i you um so he was born so he was a year and a half i was interviewing for a pretty good promotion at the job that i had and and my boss at the time, he was like, before you go interview for this, because I always had a goatee. And he was like, before you interview for this job, you should really shave. He was like, they'll, they'll take you more seriously if you're clean shaven. You're going in for this interview. Mm-hmm. Say, like, okay, I can, I can do that. So I went home the day before the interview and like shaved up and got, got all prettied up looking. And mm-hmm. I went to pick Sean up out of his crib and his eyes got that big and like, he did not want anything to do with me. Like, yeah. I had I had a clean face for the first time in his life, and he did not want anything <laughs> to do with like, me. I don't know what who this is. And I was like, that's all me. Yeah. I will never do it again. No, I was I did it once. It didn't go so well. I'll never do it again. Which he when he was a baby, I'd hold him, and he would lay on my chest, and he'd just put his hand up, and he'd just rub. Yeah. He would rub my goatee and go to sleep on my chest. So uh, now he's uh six two and weighs about 240 pounds and, uh, <laughs> I, if he tried he to lay still on rubs your now, goatee. He would, yeah he would smother me but uh, <laughs> uh good old yeah. days i remember uh it's like i would i think i was like 16 the first time i saw my dad shave clean and he he was he was jacking with my mom he started a job with a company that required that he was clean shaven he always had a beard when i was growing up and uh, not a long beard, but just a nice crop beard. And uh, he, I guess it was, I was about 15 or 16 years old. And he got this job with a, with a lumber company where um, he had to shave. They didn't want any facial hair whatsoever. So he thought it would be funny if he shaved his head too. So when my mom got home, he had shaved his head and his beard. He looked nothing like the, my dad. I was like, I don't even know this guy. <laughs> uh, it's funny how appearances are uh, are really kind of ingrained with people when we when we go changing them. It's kind of it uh it really messes with stuff. I, you know, yeah. I I had long hair for the longest time. I I let my hair grow out for better part of three years and and at the time when i cut it it was uh it was down past my shoulders it was about yeah. to right there and uh when i cut it like now when i look back at pictures of that i can't believe that i ever had my hair that long because until that point i'd always kept my hair about like this mm-hmm. and ever since then i've kept my hair about like this but for that for that three-year period where i grew it out it just looks so different but there were also people that worked with me at that time that they didn't know me any other way except for having long hair. So when I cut it, it was like a complete shell shock to a bunch of the people that I worked with. So it's funny how the, uh, how our appearances kind of, uh, influence the way people look at us and think about us and just generally speaking. 
uh, interact with us. Yeah, we always we always joke when Beatrix like goes somewhere without glasses on or meets or like interacts with somebody and she doesn't have her glasses on. It's the first time she's ever interacted with them without her glasses. We call it her Clark Kent disguise because she looks completely like a completely different person. <laughs> that is really funny because like you know it's always the joke of how could Clark Kent just take glasses off and become Superman and nobody knows who he is and then like if you know somebody that wears glasses all the time and then you see them without their glasses they are almost unrecognizable it is yeah. it's not that it's not that far-fetched when you do really know somebody who just wears glasses all the time and you see them without yeah it is it, it's funny I'll send, so you some, kinda, I'll send you some pictures later. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> let's kind of dive into our evolving worldviews. And I think I think the more interesting part of this conversation, because I, I, I'm sure we could spend most of the night talking about our evolving political views on stuff, but I think that's um I think that's actually the less interesting thing because we've we've gone down similar roads that a lot of others have gone down and it's been talked about on podcast after podcast after podcast over the last year of the yeah. the way COVID has kind of changed the way people think about things and look at things, especially on the political spectrum. But I think I think you are experiencing some interesting growth and changes in like your personal and spiritual life as well. And I think those are more interesting, especially in light of uh, like like some of my Substack writing or all of my Substack writing for the last three or four months has been based on the current state of modern Christianity, especially Western Christianity and the uh, departure from true biblical Orthodox type of values that the Christian church had always held and kind of the uh, cuckolding of Christianity by progressivism. Mm. really is uh i think the best way to describe it uh so that's been something that's really weighing on me a lot and and i know you've been taking a a spiritual journey over the last several months and even year uh so let's let's kind of get into that let's how has some of that been evolving and changing for you not just and not just over the last year year and a half but like over your the course of your life a bit Okay, so I think in order to touch on the subject, we have to unfortunately um, get into the political a little bit. I think that's a necessary angle we have to get into. Um, for most of my life, I wasn't political. Like, I was pretty apolitical. I didn't really care about politics. I never paid attention to them. And that really, went, as I became more interested in politics, that view of politics really shaped the way that I interacted with politics. Right. So it was, it was really the reason why I was drawn to libertarianism because, you know, I always had kind of a screw the government kind of mentality. So therefore the libertarian angle was just amplifying screw the government. All right. So but whenever I got involved in politics, it wasn't for the sake of politics. It was because I was trying to figure out how the world operated. I was, I wanted a blueprint that I could lay out and say, okay, 
this is how the world operates. How am I supposed to engage in it? And I got caught up in libertarianism and I don't regret it. I actually still adhere to a lot of the political philosophy of libertarianism. Problem is Marx won that battle to where every, if you listen to a Marxist talk and you start talking to a Marxist, what they do is everything's politics, right? And for me, my entire life, nothing was politics. It was all like, yeah, whatever. I don't care about all that stuff, you know? Um, but then you slowly started seeing in the society, everything became political, everything. So you had to take a side. You had to choose one side or the other. You had to figure out, you had to draw that red line in the sand and pick a side. And I've come to the understanding, um, which I had this conversation with LB Mooney is the other day in kind of a short form fashion. I've come to the understanding that a political philosophy like libertarianism is, is a solid political philosophy for the lane of politics, but it is not a worldview. And it, it is not a worldview that you can build your, your set of ideals and your life structure upon. And what has happened because Marx won the argument and made everything political, a lot of libertarians utilize libertarian political philosophy as a worldview when it's not meant to be that. It is literally meant to be a political philosophy that you engage politics with. So I had fallen into that trap to where I had structured my entire chain of thought my entire life around the political philosophy and tried to manipulate that into becoming a worldview. And it, whenever you do that, you're building your house on sand. I thought that was a good start. Yeah, that was a really good start. And that is because I have, uh, I don't know. We we talked about it a little bit on my show Friday night. Like, uh, I started out very like boomer con for lack of a better way of putting it. Like, I was a I was a George W. Bush Republican in the early two thousands. I I I went traveling to campaign for W. in 04. Like, I was gung ho, and and it was because I was young and dumb and I didn't have an actual worldview. I I just. I saw what happened on 9-11 and I thought that, you know, all the stories that I heard about that were, or, you know, I didn't hear any stories about that. I, I knew that the, the terrorists attacked us and they were the bad guys. So we needed to fight them on every front and I needed to be for the strong Republican who was going to do that. Uh, not for some squishy Democrat that was going to sell us out to the highest bidder overseas, whoever that happened to be. Uh and then as the war drug on and never seemed to end, and I started to grow up a little bit and figure out what was actually going on in the world, uh, I just kind of got, I kind of became apolitical for for lack of a better way of defining it. Like I, I realized that the system was rigged uh, when they, when they nominated McCain in 08, and then they turn around and nominate uh, Romney in 12. It's like, they, they're not serious about winning. They don't actually like the game is rigged. They don't actually care. Yeah. Um, like the 
too big to fail bailouts in 08, you know, with the crash and, and the recession and everything. Like, it's like this, this is not what Republicans are supposed to be about. And, and that kind of uh, disenfranchised me to the whole thing for a while. And I started seeing libertarian ideas and libertarian principles. And I was like, those are things that I could actually get behind. And so I started paying a little more attention to politics just from a sense of I can use this libertarian stuff to say that both sides are equally worthless. Uh, and, that, and that was kind of it. That was my political philosophy for, for a while was just both sides are dumb. Everything is everything is rigged. You know, at least these guys are saying, hey, or at least these guys who call themselves libertarians are saying the right things. Even if as a, and I always kind of felt like that as a political party, it was kind of useless, but they said the right things. And that's, so that was good enough for me because I was mostly uh, apathetic to it anyway. Mm. And then, you know, and then you get 2020 and all of that. But, you know, as we're leading up to that, I also, like we had talked about on your show about a year ago, you know, I had my, had my divorce and everything that came with that. And a lot of, also a lot of personal and spiritual growth that came through that. Um, so as I'm kind of developing more of my libertarian-esque, uh, philosophical and religious worldviews, because I, that was around the time when I started spending a lot of time reading the Quran, reading the Dhammapada, studying different religions and stuff like that. And none of it, none of it ever caused me to sway in my christian beliefs that actually uh kind of helped round me out and and give me a better understanding of my own beliefs and kind of built my own faith even stronger through understanding all of that other stuff and learning those other those other faiths and religions and and what they were all about um so it kind of it was kind of moving me in that direction politically where i was learning about a lot of other stuff which opened me up to wanting to learn about a lot of other stuff so that when I did start to become more political, instead of being like just boomer con, everything is right wing. Now I'm open to looking at what's the green party saying? What's the, what are the libertarians saying? What is communism actually about? Like I, I read the communist manifesto a couple of times. Uh, I still need to get a copy of Mao's little red book, but, I, uh, I I've read it, but I don't have one. I've been told I need one. Uh, but and which I do, I need to add that to my collection of things that I have, um, because they're all things that are important to figuring out your worldview, and then expanding on it and finding out what are the other, what are other worldviews, and how do they, how do these all mesh together to make you know everything that we've got going on. So I, yeah, I, I, I the uh, libertarianism was a a fun. Uh, little romp for a couple of years of expanding the way that I was thinking about everything. Uh, and I, 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 yeah, like you said, like I, I don't regret that at all. Um, I, I do look back at some of the things that I said a couple of years ago and I'm like, Ooh, uh, that was, I was kind of one of those cringy libertarians. Like I was, I was definitely hitting the, hitting the neither right nor left pipe pretty hard there for a while. And, and then hindsight, um, you, you have to, you have to have a strong friend enemy distinction, which Pete talks about. Um, 
and and that's that's getting harder to stay open to the neither right nor left thing because you almost have to differentiate the two when when making that distinction uh, it's mm. it's getting tough not to right yeah uh so so yeah there's a lot a lot of stuff that's been going on over the last several years uh in the old noggin and and i'm I think the political side of it is a good jumping off point because a lot of times we do like, you know, like I said, like my boomer con, you know, late teens, early twenties phase. Like I didn't have a worldview. I had a political philosophy that was not very well developed. And now I'm starting to develop it even or now that it has started to develop. I find myself wanting to develop it more. Well, I think it was in like 2000. I started my podcast in 2018 and it wasn't long, probably, probably March, April, 2019. I was already tired of talking about politics and that wasn't even like the entire subject matter of what I had talked about in 2018. Like one of my, I think it was, I started in September. I think my first podcast was with, um, yeah, it was Michael, um, Oh man, I'm forgetting his last name right now. Um, and then I had Scott Horton and Pete Quinones. And, but then I knew all these entrepreneurs that I was also interviewing and I was, I was chatting with. And in 2019, maybe mid 2019, I started more talking more about homesteading and raising chickens and stuff like that a little bit more. Um, you know, and I would talk to, libertarians that had sway in the libertarian movement about their projects, what they were doing. Um, because I thought one of the big things that was missing from the libertarian conversation was the fact that you're, you're building that side project and you're, you're doing something for yourself on the side and creating this like kind of insurance policy for yourself. And I guess I started seeing that what was what the libertarian podcasts were aimed in this particular direction. And my entire vision was that in order to experience the the libertarian ends, you would have to have a complete worldview. And so I started questioning, well, if I'm not able to solve this problem through this philosophy, then I need to begin moving in other directions. So as I began to look around and read, and I stopped reading libertarian books, I started reading um, a lot of books um, from globalists of the past. And really got into reading like Brzezinski and um, Mal I'm reading Malthus right now. Um, Klaus Schwab popped up on my radar. I started reading his stuff. Um, so I really started paying attention to more of the quote unquote conspiracy angle. Because I realized that what libertarians weren't taking into effect or yeah, they weren't taking it in to context 
with the entire globe. They were focused mainly on the United States. And they weren't talking about how you were living your daily life and how you were going through your day-to-day process. And I was. I was I was talking about being a blue-collar guy. I was talking about, you know, raising chickens, being over the road uh, constantly, supply chains breaking down, like not not even saying like, this is how we're going to fix it. It's just like these things are coming down the pike and it's like one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. And then you kind of had like the like post-libertarian movement happening over off to the side with Pete and, uh, you know, uh, Matt Erickson and all these guys. And you had the the hardcore like libertarian uh, podcasters like Scott, Dave Smith. And I found myself like dead center. I was like right in the middle of it, all of it. And, and I kind of still am. I'm friends with all these guys. And like, I don't have any bad thing to say about what Scott does or what Pete does or what Dave does. Or I, I just don't, I don't find myself in a position to where it matters. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to figure out what it is people are forgetting to talk about that happens in between these two moments. Right. And what I realized, because on the one side, you've got the identification of the problem. And on the other side, you've got the identification of the solution, but we have to get from identifying the problem to actually creating the solution. And there's steps that are have to happen in between. And well, in, in what, what it is, is it, at least in my, like, from my perspective, what I'm watching happen, what I'm watching take place is all these guys are still looking for a political philosophy to become the worldview, to encompass the entirety of reality around them. And I don't say that to, like, short any of these guys or, like, insult any of them because I'm great friends with all of them. It's just the fact that there's you're missing a piece and what you're missing is you're missing that foundation to build that political philosophy on you need a, an entire worldview in order for that political philosophy to fit inside that it can't be your entire the the way that you view everything you can't view the way you interact with your neighbor as a political philosophy that, that that just doesn't work. That's not how people interact. And, and so it's, it's been kind of a journey on my part, trying to figure out like, what is it that I'm seeing around me? Number one, why is the world seemingly falling apart in the way that it is? Where does the political philosophy of libertarianism fit into the spectrum of why it's falling apart the way it is. And then what are the gaps that libertarianism doesn't cover? And then whenever I start identifying that, I started realizing that's when I really began to realize like, Oh, viewing the world through a political philosophy is not going to create sanity on my part. What it might do, it might get me a lot of subscribers because I'm I'm hitting all the virtue signal talking points, but what I'm not doing is actually addressing the problems that are right in front of me. Well, 
I'm a man. I'm married. I have a lot bigger issues than gaining an audience. Like, you know, so my, I'm not trying to solve this problem for you. I'm trying to solve this problem for myself and my children. I've always said, I started my podcast for my kids to see kind of the evolution of my thought and the things that I, I go through when working through these problems. So my, I want to give the most honest, truthful, breakdown of everything around me that I see and how it can be addressed. And what I realized is that this narrow political philosophy was a piece of the way I see the world. And it was a piece of the way I interact with the world, but it could not be the totality of how I went through my daily life. Yes. And, and it can, it can speak to, some of the things that you're using to figure out how you're going through your daily life, but it's not, yeah, it's not the end all solution to the, the questions that you have in your mind. Like a, a, a political philosophy is never going to answer all of the questions that you have for life. Like they're, it's just not, um, they're not built on that type of a thing. Right. And, and the ones that are built on that type of a thing are, I would argue aren't actually political philosophies. They're they are a spiritual uh, philosophy, like like the like Kama Sutra. Yeah, yeah, or like the you know the poli- the politics of Islam are the faith of Islam. That's not um, it's not a political philosophy. It is a religious ideal, and it's a it is a actual it's an actual worldview and it's an actual lifestyle. It's not right. uh, like the, the only time that politics is going to influence every aspect of your life is if that is, if every aspect of your life, including politics is built into your worldview and your, well, and the thing you, you have to make, you have to make the politics, the religion. That's the problem. And I was never willing to do that. I was always like, yeah, it's like, screw those guys. I don't care. I don't like all that shit. So well, and, and these days, the ones that you see who have made politics their religion are the ones who have no other religion than uh, like the the ones on the left specifically. Like that, uh, that is their religion. Their religion is progressivism. Right. Well, and in even some libertarians. Right. So there's there's a serious issue that we have when we're utilizing the term libertarian because of there are different types of people that use that term in different ways. Now I quote unquote official officially abandoned the term libertarian in 2019 when I heard Tucker Carlson say that Hillary Clinton was promoting libertarian foreign policy, right? Through, through all these engagements overseas. And and I'm like, this guy had like, if that's what normies think libertarian is, I want nothing to do with it, but I still operate and I conduct my business and my podcast through the libertarian Institute. I mean, that's where I operate at. So I have a lot in common with, with like the Patrick McFarlane, Keith Knight, uh, Scott Horton libertarians, right? It's the, it's the Cato um, reason hedonist 
libertarians that I have a serious issue with because that is not the same strain of libertarianism that I imagine it to be. I imagine uh, a political philosophy that you are utilizing to engage with politics from this line of thought and that you're doing everything within your power to get, you know, to vote or act in the political manner in a way that moves the politics to kind of what your worldview would be, uh, what your, your framing would be of where politics should be. The, the reason Cato hedonistic libertarianism has created libertarianism as a kind of soft religion to where everything in your world, everything in your life has to be viewed through the lens of libertarianism. Right. What I what I've discovered is this is a result of the atheistic mindset invading society. Right. So, I mean, just to be honest, my wife's an atheist. I have no issues with individual atheism like I, that doesn't bother me. It's societal atheism. That's the issue. Right. As the as the society has moved into a more atheistic position it has grown more and more unstable. Now, I don't view this as just coincidence. When you look at the Soviet Union, what atheism led to in the Soviet Union, Solzhenitsyn writes that he had to get locked up in the gulag in order to find, like, go through that struggle and find faith. And what I'm witnessing right now in our world around us is a situation into which the gulag is a panopticon. It's, it's a technology gulag, right? Um, I've heard people call it, call it, um, a tech, uh, what, what, a techno ghetto or a tech technological ghetto, right? But really it, it's a type of gulag that you're locked into and, and by being locked into it, you're able to function within society. If you end up on the outskirts of it, if you get thrown out, you get ostracized, then you can't bank. You, you have trouble finding jobs or making money or, or buying stocks or uh, engaging in any kind of um, uh, future endeavors or communicating with people because everything's run through technology now. Now they've figured out a way to lock everybody into these gulags, make people want to stay within the gulag because outside the gulag, it's the wilderness and it's chaos out there, right? And so that's what I'm seeing and I'm tying this directly to an atheistic worldview. Whereas if you look at like the, the rise of democracy, democracy, I've said this several, several times, democracy, yes, it's two wolves and a sheep voting for what's for dinner. Worse than that, it is morality by popular opinion. Popular demand determines what your morality is. Your morality no, no longer comes from a higher power. The group think is the higher power. The hive mind determines. If 51% determine that this is morality, that, that we should be cutting the genitals off of children, the 49% need to shut up. Well, that's not morality right? That's a mob. That's a cult. Well, and and I'm that's, not, I don't want to be part of a cult. <laughs> yeah. When it goes to, it expands on the 
the idea of atheism becoming a more prevalent thing when like like your wife is awesome i i know and i know plenty of individual atheists who are just not they don't believe anything and that's cool like generally speaking an individual can have that but when you start to see the atheist collectivism that has been really taking hold of a lot of a lot of the modern west what it becomes is they create their own religion out of something it's like there there is a power vacuum within society to have something as that symbol that religious thing and if mm. it's not christ if it's not the church they make something else to be that thing so like a collective atheism is a religion in and of, in and of itself yeah i mean look at the George they, Floyd memorials right like you've got the you've got the lgbtq stuff you've got the george floyd stuff you there's just an there is almost a religion of anti-religious people like it's it is almost dogmatic the way sam, sam harris is beyond dogmatic right it is yeah it's crazy and it's but it is a religion unto itself to be anti-religious for some of for some of these and it's it's always like a group think thing it's um people crave connection and if you're not getting it from something that's faith-based then you create it based on a faith in something that you find like it's uh religion is religion is paramount to the human condition whether you believe in a higher power or you believe in something else you're going to you're going to find your your religion somehow uh and our our modern society is finding it in the worst possible ways well unfortunately. And, and here's a big issue that i had i was talking to my mom about this the other day it was the contradiction within my head that i was dealing with and this is what moved me to the Orthodox faith was reading Orthodox books, finding out that these contradictions could be overcome and that, that there was a direction in which I can move to overcome these contradictions. Right. And so I was, I was, I was dealing with this idea that, okay, I find the sexualizing of children to be completely disturbing and immoral but I had no moral framework in order to tie that to. So then it was just a subjective opinion. And until I get, until I tied myself to a moral framework and, and accepted that moral framework, it was only subjective. It could no longer be determined as an objective moral ideal in my head. So there was this contradiction that I'm telling you, sexualizing children is wrong now prove it to me objectively well i think i like i lost the argument right there you see what i'm saying and and so not having that 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 framework that objective framework that i could tie my morality to by depending on my own individual autonomy as a moral compass well, if I can do that, so could everybody else, right? And so you could have your own moral framework and your neighbor could have their own moral framework. And if they butt heads, then it's just a matter of who 
who wins, who kills who first. You're right. Like that's who wins. And so I found that the, the, to find an objective moral framework, I had to tie all my philosophies in life to a bigger worldview that I could use as a foundation of rock instead of dealing with the foundation of sand. Okay, so how does that bring you into the steps you've taken with orthodoxy and how has that kind of rounded out your worldview on on a lot of this stuff? I had had a bad experiences with um people in the the field of religion as i was growing up um there were incidents and that where i i it, it embittered me and eventually it ran me away from any sort of religiosity I began to call myself agnostic and I, I stayed in that arena for 11 years. And, um, it was, it was how I moved into the realm of orthodoxy was a, a large struggle. I mean, you saw part of this, like you would hear me talk about it. Um, it was, there was a lot of struggle. It was a lot of fighting, a lot of not wanting to give up that autonomy. Um, and 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 uh, I knew it was going to be a change in my lifestyle. And I didn't know if I was willing to give that up and, and to move in that direction. Um, so there was a, a lot of my own pride and subjective reasoning uh, fighting the, the objective kind of... Uh, like framework that I, I was seeing. So I, what I was, what I was going through was I see this framework. I see what's happening in front of me and I see how it all fits together. And I see how it creates this, this complete worldview in which I can operate within and everything. It, it, there are no more contradictions taking place within my mind. I can actually like work through this stuff and, and be pointed in, in a, an honest direction or I can stay comfortable. And, and that was the fight. It was like, I'm really comfortable. Like I'm, my life is good. I, I'm not, I don't have like personal problems, you know, for the most part, like, I mean, a lot less than most people do. There's no drama in my life. I, it's very laid back. I go to work. I come home. I hang out with my wife, drink a few beers. We eat, we go to bed. Like, there's not a whole lot going on there. It's pretty easy. I have a pretty easy life. You know, I got, I have chickens and dogs and pond and I'm pretty good, man. Everything's fine. So it wasn't one of these situations where I was like in this, like, like slide downhill where I had to restructure my entire life where it's all going to fall apart on me. It, it wasn't that it was, it was all internal. It was all uh, psychological with me. Uh, how do I, I, when I entered libertarianism, whenever I came to that, that libertarian philosophy, I was searching for truth. And this search for truth never stopped. And it just, as it got closer to orthodoxy, 
it got a lot more uncomfortable. Like whenever I'm learning a lot of new stuff, I was like, all right, yeah, 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 it's cool. But when learning all this new stuff put me in a position to where I'm facing religion and faith and, and I'm like, that can't be the only combatant to what, to the, to the lies and the destruction we see around us. And so I, I struggled. I, I struggled constantly looking around, trying to figure it out. Drove me crazy. Um, for over a year, I, I, I struggled. Um, even my, my priest, father, Michael, um, he, he even made a comment when, it, whenever I finally did, uh, commit to joining the church, he said, it took you long enough. You know, you've been coming here almost every week for over a year. And, and I couldn't even get you to come to a catechumen class for eight months. You know, our first conversation was the, uh, the Sunday afternoon that you had attended your first service. Yeah. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. I loved it. There was no reason I, there was, there was nothing but love and respect for what they were doing. It was just this internal fight, this internal thing that I'm dealing with. Like, it's like, man, do I really need to change my whole life? Do I really need to switch to flip this upside down? you know, and start changing habits and do this. I'm, I'm really comfortable. I'm really in a good spot. There's nothing going on, but it was it because of the podcasting and in this just constant search that I've been on for, I don't know, since 2015, I guess, because of that journey that I've been on that, that, that path that I've been walking, it just led me to this as the solution and to the worldview issue. And it was very uncomfortable. I, I, I didn't enjoy it at all. I, I still, there are moments where I'm like, Oh gosh, what am I doing? Like, you know, so, uh, but yeah, no, I, but, it, but it has changed the way I view things. It's changed, not the way I view things, but it's changed the, it, it's, it's gotten, gotten rid of the contradictions, I guess. And, a lot of things are more clear now than they ever have been before. I think that's a, I think that's a struggle for everybody at some point um, in their walk of faith. And especially with Christianity is there is kind of a point where um you have to sort of accept that it's right. And that, um, like for me, it was really tough. I think I, I think I actually talked about it with you, you know, a year or so ago, but like, I, I had that moment where, um, I thought I was, I thought I could handle my life, like mm. strong, independent, smart, successful. I made plenty of money. I knew what I was doing. I had a wife and kids and, I had this life shit figured out, right? So I, there was no reason for me to take everything to God because I didn't need, God had bigger problems to deal with. And then when I hit the point in my life where I couldn't fix anything, uh, and then as I couldn't fix, as I couldn't fix certain things, then there were other things that just kept like snowballing on top of those things. And then I couldn't fix those things either. And 
then I finally like break down and I'm like, okay, I really fucked up here and I can't do this. Can you help me out with it? Then it all went in the opposite direction of the, of what I wanted it to go because I wanted it to be fixed in my way, the way I, yeah, you wanted it to, you wanted specific ends to the problem. Right. I knew how the, (laughs) I knew what the solution was and how to fix it. I just couldn't make that happen. So I need you to fix it for me. And then when that didn't happen, then I got mad and it was just like, all right, well, if I can't fix it and you won't fix it, then fuck this. I'm never going to put my posi- myself in a position that I have to rely on anybody else to fix it ever again. And and then I then I had some real like actual come to Jesus moments with uh, grappling through that. And then I figured out like, oh man, I've really not been doing this right at any point. And and this does require me to not rely on me all the time, but to to actually put my faith and my life in the hands of something higher than me and rely on that to to guide my worldview and to guide the way that I craft my life from here forward. And since going through all that, uh, I don't have trauma anymore. I don't have I don't have stress or or bullshit that I deal with. It's um, it is very comfortable, but it's also comfortable in a uncomfortable sense because I, I am very reliant on like I don't know what my what the plan is that God has for me but I know that it's going to work out and if there's a part where I feel like it's not working out that's probably because I've switched back to me trying to fix it my way and not seeing the way that it's supposed to be. So it, it has taken a huge, and for somebody that's as OCD as I am, like you can't see it from this distance, but every, every book on my bookshelves are arranged in a very, very specific order. And as soon as I walk into my house, like if there's anything out of order, I know it immediately. Like I, I just, I instinctively can feel that something's not where it's supposed to be. And it yeah. flies all over me. Like, so to, to, to let go of, um, the direction of my life like that and to kind of have blind faith in what the plan is for my life is uh, it does take a lot of self-sacrifice and it is an uncomfortable thing. Um, I'm so not OCD. My office would drive me insane, man. <laughs> Just looking at your bookshelf is, is the little... <laughs> <laughs> you start twitching <laughs> but you know it is it it is an uncomfortable thing and that's i think that's how you know that it's a it's a worldview and it's something that has value and it's not just a philosophy that uh is not going to impact things one way or the other well it it's it's like i Again, I'll, I'll bring this back to the conversation I had with my mom the other day. It's it's a worldview that I'm able to take the principles of, and I'm able able to to incorporate the patterns that I see within Christianity and lay them on top of the world and make sense of what I'm seeing in front of me, right? And so I couldn't do that with libertarianism. 
I could never, I could never say the non-aggression principle fixes the reason that a, a four-year-old has cancer. But by taking that Christian worldview and and understanding it and laying it and patterning it on top of the world, I can then make sense of what happened, why this is occurring, right? I can then understand like if I were it okay, let's just take one of my one of my situations in my life, for instance. Libertarianism has never given me a solution as to how to deal with my daughter who did not want anything to do with me for years because her mother was telling her lies about me, making me sound like a horrible human being. Libertarianism doesn't give me a way to operate within that problem. So then I'm stuck frustrated because I have that, if that's my worldview and I'm painting everything in that light, well, if I just am, uh, obey the nap, then my daughter will love me again. Like, no, that's not the way this works, right? I have to find a bigger, broader spectrum of how to view the world that is non-contradictory, which is hard. Like any any kind of worldview that is non-contradictory is going to be very few and far between. And so I have to find a way to view this situation and pattern a sort of worldview on top of it in order for me to understand it. And therefore I can work through it without going insane. How do I do that? How do I encounter that? And it's not libertarianism that helps me through that. It is the fact that I am able to look at the, look at the map of the world through the Orthodox Christian lens, understand the teachings of the, of the Christian faith, and therefore understand not only why my, my ex-wife did the things she did, but why my daughter believed them and how then I should interact moving forward in order to repair that relationship, which is the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is not to point the finger and cast blame as good as that may make you feel. The ultimate goal is to repair the relationship. So the, the pointing the finger and casting blame as good as it might make me feel is an obstruction to healing that relationship so therefore, I won't do that. I would never understand that through any other worldview. The, the concepts of forgiveness and reconciliation are fairly, I don't want to say unique to Christianity because other, other faiths um, have them as part of it, but that's kind of the fundamental staple of Christianity. I mean, Jesus on the cross is it is all of that wrapped up into into this one moment of, you know, like that's that is our forgiveness and redemption. Um, and it, you can't separate that Christian faith from that in any way. Uh, there are other tenets of other religions that you can kind of build your your worldview around 
outside of that, but that's the that's the staple of of Christianity that you cannot you can't get away from, and and that's uh, I think it's something that when people really understand that, it's why people who are either new to faith or kind of being renewed in their faith um, do experience such a huge change is because if you've been a selfish person and you've been more uh, accentric or more um, be a or something like that like when you when you get to the heart of forgiveness and reconciliation uh it really changes things um i i was able to get over the bitterness of my divorce relatively quickly because around that time i was also going through my kind of uh renewing of my faith and and kind of figuring out where i had gone wrong in what I thought had been my, my faith, uh, prior to that. And so I I remember one time my mom asked me like, how are you not mad about everything? It's like, what is, what is being mad about that accomplished me in terms of getting right with myself going forward and, and being right with God and being right with my kids. And like, you know, you have to, not necessarily forgive and forget, but forgive and reconcile and, and move forward, you know, mm. take those lessons with you and, and have a, a stronger faith and a, a better walk because of it. Um, mm. And that's, that's tough for people. That's why it is a, it is a challenge. It is a growing experience. Is you have to be willing to, you have to be willing to let go of that stuff and move forward and uh that's not easy well, for a lot of people especially yeah, in modern society that like a, a you know we are uh, somebody mentioned it earlier in the in the chat like we are a society that's based on like justice and uh and getting what you deserve and stuff like that and that's not the the, the uh the fundamental tenets of well it's not real christianity that's not, reality. Not, that's not the yeah. way life works like you can look around and like, that's just not reality. That's just not, you know, like, I mean, I'm sure you had the same saying in your house, life isn't fair, you know, like whatever, it's not going to be fair. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And so you, you got to suck it up buttercup. You got to move on. And how are you going to move on? Are you going to lean onto your un- own understanding and be bitter and angry? Like that doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah. Like you're, you're only making yourself miserable because I guarantee you the person that you're bitter and angry at isn't thinking about you near as much as you're thinking about them. I I think that's, uh, for our modern society, I think that's really a a huge lesson is, and and you see it play itself out on social media all the time. Um, I still am on Twitter. I, I know you, you are not, and I think you're enjoying your, your, time not being on twitter yeah i I get so much more done (laughs) (laughs) i'm 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 like so much more at peace 
I read instead of going on Twitter. I'm reading Sarah from Rose, and y'all are on Twitter arguing. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'll check. I'll, I'll get on the chat every once in a while, and somebody will post on Twitter. I'll be like, yeah, whatever. Like <laughs> somebody had commented on some. Uh, I was in one of those Twitter spats a few weeks ago, and somebody said, I don't know why you're so angry and bitter. I was like, literally nothing that I've said was said out of anger or bitterness. He said, I've been laughing my ass off at this entire conversation the whole time. It's like I'm sorry that for some reason you are angry and bitter about it and you think that I am but I'm absolutely not I am I'm having a blast with this and it's yeah. hilarious and y'all should really find some joy in this and like stop taking it all so seriously and learn how to move on and and not be like that yeah find that find that sense of humor and just have some fun whatever but no i i don't miss twitter at all i don't even i'm on i'm on facebook and getter and i just don't use them i just have no i i i guess i've just gotten to the point where i have no desire to utilize social media at all it just doesn't matter to me i mean for all i know they've restored my twitter account since elon musk took over i just i don't even check it's like i'm like whatever i don't care Steven, I don't know if the goat broke in or what the sound was. I've got the, I have my spear at the ready as always. So if <laughs> something, if something comes around that corner, I am prepared to attack whatever it is. But it sounds like it's all shaking its head. But I I it's just a dumbass kid. It's just a dumbass kid. Right. Oh, that you, one again. You know, you know, you can't come busting in the house like that. Like I'm always ready to attack. Leave me alone. You would think he would know better at this point after I almost knocked him downstairs one night when he tried to jump out and scare me. Uh, my my instincts are... I was trying to be quiet. I'm sorry. All right? <laughs> my, uh, my fight or flight instincts are murder, 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 and then figure out what it was that I just hit after I'm done. <laughs> yeah, he jumped out from this. He jumped out from around the corner one night trying to scare me, and I punched him straight in the chest. And then as soon as I hit him, I realized it was him, and just and I grabbed him before he went just tumbling head over heels down the steps. I was like, dude, you you have to know better than to try to jump out at me. Like my my internal trigger is just whatever it is that's coming at me. I kill it first, and then I figure out what it was. <laughs> yeah. I'm done with it. Yeah. 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 So. Ask ask questions later. <laughs> so all right we got to the bottom of what uh what was attacking me in my house I'm just a <laughs> dumbass kid next on ghost stories <laughs> but so we do have a uh i have a suspicion we've got a bobcat problem again we had a bobcat problem when we first moved in here and i took care of that mm -hmm. one but i i think we have a i think we've got a new one and uh because our regular cats have both disappeared now. And we had, <coughs> when we were letting the chickens free range there for a while, one of them disappeared. And then mm. all the other ones went back to the coop and had no interest in free ranging anymore. So, yes, yeah. <laughs> that'll do it. <laughs> you know, you hear stuff banging around, uh, uh, start wondering if it's time to start shooting again. Uh, I went, uh, we were sitting uh, at the kitchen table. Um, I guess it was Christmas morning. We were sitting there and I, I was watching my ducks on the pond. Cause I can see my pond from my, from my window. And so I'm watching the ducks and something catch caught my eye. And I look up, I kind of look up off the pond 
to and I see a big freaking coyote. And I mean, this coyote is almost wolf size, like huge. And I was like, crap. I was like, so I, I need to watch out for this guy. And by the time I got to my room and realized what it was, got to my room, got the rifle. My wife's like, don't kill it. And I'm like, no, wait. So I get out the back door and it's gone. And uh, this morning before I went to church, I'm uh, I'm sitting there, I'm having a cigarette and I'm reading. And I don't know, for some reason, something told me to like look at the pond. So I look over there, I see the ducks and they're swimming towards the house. And I'm like, I wonder what they're doing. Because usually if they come towards the house, they go across, they go lengthwise across the pond and they have a specific spot they come up on. Well, they're coming into an area they never take shore on. So I'm watching them and I see something move across on the other side of the pond. I look up, there's a big ass German shepherd over on the other side of the pond. I was like, what the hell? So obviously my dog's, I opened the door to run it off because I saw it had a collar on. So I'm like, I'm just going to go run it off. I'm not going to shoot somebody's dog. But uh, so I opened the door to go out there and run it off. My dogs go freaking crazy. <laughs> they see it and they're going nuts. So luckily I had their their collars on them. Their their invisible fence was around their neck so they could only go so far. But I was like, man. That dog would have been in for a rough time if these two would have gotten a hold of him. <laughs> he would have been a squeaky toy real quick. <laughs> What's interesting thing about living out in the country, I guess, is the the animal problems. Uh, I've I've told it on uh, better on than morning show. better than the people problems of the city. Very true. So I've told it on the morning show that I do um, when when we had our bobcat problem originally when we moved in. We, we would see it out here walking across the little field in the mornings. And, and I was sitting here one day and the dogs were getting all worked up. And I went and looked out the back door and sure enough, there it was prowling around the outside perimeter of the goat pen. So I keep, I keep the 22 next to the back door just for, just for that instance. So I grabbed the 22 and shot it and uh, it hit the ground and rolled over and and screamed and then it took off out in the woods. So I followed the blood trail until I was sufficiently convinced that there was way too much blood on the ground for this thing to survive for very long. So mm. I was like, okay, taken care of, uh, come back to the house and sent my wife a text. I said, yeah, go, uh, Bobcat problem has been taken care of. And she said, did you shoot a big cat? I was like, yes, I shot a Bobcat. And she said, our neighbor has a lynx, like a $3,000 pet. Mm. She said, and they let that thing roam. I was like, uh, number one, why the fuck are you letting a $3,000 pet roam <laughs> loose out here where we have bobcats and stuff? And number two, I'm positive that I shot a bobcat. And I sent her a picture of a bobcat. I was like, this is what I shot. And then she sends me a picture back of a lynx. And God, it looks exactly like a fucking bobcat. I was like, well, I'm pretty sure this is what I shot anyway. Uh, but luckily, a couple days later, I saw their their links sitting on their porch. And so I was like, so either, either the Bobcat moved onto their porch or it was actually their links. And, and I was in good shape. I didn't shoot our neighbor's pet, but, uh, yeah, for a couple of days, I was a little bit worried. I think, I think links are slight, slightly smaller than Bobcats. Yeah. It wasn't, uh, the, the one that I shot was 
bigger. It, it had more of a it had more of a bulk to it yeah. than, uh, yeah. than the links. But yeah, it was uh, the joys of living out in the country. Yeah, no and doubt. having neighbors who have exotic pets for some reason, mm-hmm. letting them wander. Yeah, why would you let them wander? That that's the question. I, I don't mind if you have exotic pets, but if you have a three thousand dollar pet, you probably want to keep an eye on it. <laughs> yeah, keep that thing in your yard at least. Like, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> And like Sam, and like you Sam says, I, I probably saved the links because because that bobcat, um, our neighbor down the other way, he had had a bunch of chickens at one time, and this bobcat had gotten all of his chickens. That, uh, so this thing had been terrorizing the entire neighborhood for quite some time before I moved in and took care of it. I can't believe this far out in the country we don't have more neighbors who are willing to just walk out on their porch and shoot stuff but you need to get you a great pyrenees or anatolian shepherd or something like that to keep with your goats and stuff to protect them yeah i need a good outside dog we've got our two inside dogs there uh huge huge divas when it snows we'd put them outside and they they tiptoe through the snow just long enough to pee and then they're like banging their head on the door let me back in it's Yeah, no, yeah, my dogs would be worthless. They're they're good during the day, but at night they're just they're nothing more than electric blankets. That's all they are. So, so. Well, Tommy, you got anything else on the? Uh, I feel like we, I feel like we covered this pretty thoroughly before. I, I, yeah, I think broke I, in and started making noise. And no, it's fine. I, I think we got like in in like at least scratched the surface a little bit of what I was thinking of. I mean, I. There's still some other things that I have on my mind, but like I said, I want to sit down and write a little bit and uh, try to try to work out like the I, I'm trying to figure out how to work it linearly because I I feel like even in this conversation I was kind of jumping and there are, are gaps that need to be filled in and I feel like if I sit down and and am able to take some time to write it out I can actually fill those gaps in and kind of put all my thoughts together, but I, I appreciate this. I really do. I appreciate you coming on. This has been a lot of fun. And I, I always enjoy our, our chats and, and conversations we have. Uh, plug all your stuff and we will call it a wrap. Yeah. Um, TommySalmons.com for my Substack. Um, if you, if you're a paid subscriber to my Substack or my Patreon, um, I have a, extra podcasts every week that they all get access to um year zero at the libertarian institute so that's libertarianinstitute.org forward slash year dash zero forward slash and uh that's pretty much it because i'm not on social media (laughs) well thanks again tommy this has been great and for everybody watching and listening be sure to tune in uh next time uh next episode will be a solo show. I'm trying to figure out what my topic is going to be. I've got, I got a handful that I've been looking at and uh, I haven't decided what I want to do yet. Usually I try to plan these things out a couple weeks in advance because I do actually spend a lot of time reading and and researching before I do an episode. But as of right now, I'm still kind of stuck on about three different ones that I don't know what I want to go into. So I'll figure that out. I got, I've got a couple weeks to figure that out. I'm sure I'll come up with something good. In the meantime, be sure to tune in to all the daily content if you're not already. I literally have a free link on my Twitter and on my Facebook that you get a full of the uh, bonus content for free, and you can see if it's something that you want to pay for. So 
hit me up. I'll shoot you the link and you can test it out and see if you enjoy what I'm doing. Check out the Substack. That's all I got. Tommy, thanks again for joining me. This has been great and I will see everybody later. All right, brother. We've got a brand new sponsor for 2023 and I am really excited to partner with Agorist Acres. Now, agoristacres.com, you can find over 100 varieties of seeds. They've got vegetables, flowers, all kinds of stuff. They've got heritage brands, everything that you want to start any kind of garden that you need. It's free shipping on any order of $20 or more. They've got cool packaging, and most of the seeds come in a fancy glass vial, no paper envelopes. They accept U.S. dollars and crypto and can easily take either at checkout. Now, be sure to head over to agoristacres.com, and anything that you get, Use the promo code FCT at checkout for 10% off your order. I say all the time that you need to be starting your own garden. You need to be growing your own food. You need to be getting off the grid and becoming less dependent on grocery stores and stuff like that. Agorist Acres is a great first start. They've got everything you need for whatever kind of garden you want. Great people, great product, highly recommend. So go check them out. 